Hey, I'm Maria. I work at a labor union by day and write and watch too much TV by night. I like to say I've been firmly in the CW's clutches since it was a WB. As the great Seth Cohen on the OC once said about the fictional teen drama, The Valley, TV teen dramas are mind-numbing escapism. They exist in a fantasy world where 20-something hot actors are usually cosplaying high schoolers in melodramatic depictions of adolescents. But that's honestly why I love teen dramas so much. I love the tropes and the ships and the not-at-all-subtle product placement. I love the early aughts theme songs and the cameo performances by pop-punk bands. I love the newer generation of shows that are more diverse and representative of the vastness of teenage girldom. And I especially love the moments when TV teen dramas get political. You guys, we can organize, stand together, speak with one voice. Karl Marx has come alive for me today. Now it just seems so obviously wrong that those who control capital should make their fortunes off the labor of the working class. Well, since you've fired us, you've given us plenty of time to kick in. Workers of the world unite for all the Welcome to another episode of Leftist Teen Drama. Today we're going to be talking about the prison industrial complex and Tim Riggins, which actually are very related topics if you know anything about Friday Night Lights, uh, especially seasons four and five. So today I am joined by one of my oldest college friends, Haley. And Hello. as is tradition for this podcast, we always talk about how we know each other and our relationships to the show. So yeah, I mean, I literally met Haley on the first day of college because we were assigned sweetmates. Yeah, we were. Yeah, Haley had an insane amount of family with her. That's like literally my first impression of her. Um, and they're all lovely human beings who I, you know, have seen as recently as Haley's wedding. Um, <laughs> so now I always come with the crew. Yep, yep. And I feel like we early, early in freshman year bonded over teen dramas, like especially yeah. Skins, which was like a recent show back then. I have to remind you. Yeah, myself. which is so <laughs> weird. Like the third generation was like the newest one that had just come out and like it feels age. like that was yeah it just yeah. feels so long ago <laughs> but it really was not that long ago so yeah I think Skins and Degrassi were like the first things that we really bonded over and then we just continued to share teen dramas that we wanted to watch yes and you were mentioned in the One Tree Hill episode because you know I started re-watching One Tree Hill our senior year when we were both like at home and like you were watching it and so then I ended up watching it and that's how I ended up finding the iconic One Tree Hill organizing your workplace episode yeah that is a fan fave yeah. We love Brooke Davis and everything that she does for us. Yep. I feel like we both love, like, you know, the mean girls with a heart of gold trope we love. But we also love, like, the bad boys with a heart of gold, you know? like Yeah. You're just we Mariano's. love those hard outer shells and those soft, gooey centers exactly. of human beings. Very much who we are as ourselves <laughs> as well. Very true. And so today we're talking about Tim Riggins, who I feel like falls in that category. And so for Friday Night Lights, I only watched it last year during pandemic times, like like prime early pandemic. I was rewatching Dawson's Creek 
and then watching the final two seasons for the first time because I had never watched them because I stopped watching the first time after Pacey and Joey broke up. I was, I was too It dejected. took me really, yeah. it took me so long <laughs> to be like, how am I supposed to watch this now that I've seen like true love, literally true love, and yeah. then it go away. And I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, and so I decided to just like continue the like watching teen dramas of the past that I never managed to catch the first time around trend. And so I ended up watching the entirety of Friday Night Lights from start to finish. And yes. both you and a couple of other like childhood friends had like been trying to convince me to watch it. And then also I had a couple of Tumblr friends who were like, oh my God, you have to watch it. And so I ended up like writing extensive Tumblr posts about my reactions. And one of those posts was hashtag abolitionist Tim Riggins, which is yes. the inspiration for this episode. Because, I mean, it's just funny that I thought of the idea before I even realized he was going to be going to prison. Because it was like his first contact with the cops, which is the first scene we're going to watch when we get there in a little bit, is just because he doesn't have anywhere to sleep. And he's sleeping in a truck on somebody's property and a cop comes to like, you know be like fuck you get away sleep here yeah. yeah when i got to like that part of season four it was like the midst of the brianna taylor and george floyd protests and so abolition was kind of on everyone's mind like Miriam kaba who i'm going to quote extensively had just had that big article in the new york times about like abolition and like you know like actually like yes we mean defund and abolish the, the cops and so i had like shared something to my instagram feed about this like kind of like it was going viral artwork about about, like redefining public safety and one of the things was like isn't people having shelter and someplace to sleep that's like you know safe and warm every night isn't that public safety and so like i saw tim riggins just trying to sleep and i was like holy shit and i just wrote about it you know in my like stoned pandemic i i think unemployment at that point <laughs> but then i continue watching and tim actually has like the perfect arc to describe why we need abolition. Yeah, I agree. His story arc within like season four and five, I think it didn't necessarily lead up to it in the first beginning of the seasons because he felt like he was going to do something great, but that he just was like down on his luck. And then that just like continued onward, even though he tried so hard, which I think is why it's so heartbreaking because that's definitely a story for a lot of people who end up within the prison system. Yeah, and, like, I think one thing we'll probably talk about a lot is the fact that, like, he kind of get, like, gets, like, labeled as bad, like, at a certain point along the way. Whereas, like, you know, because we're in a football town, like, he's almost, like, marked as, like, the best by his, like, athletic prowess and the fact that he was able to bring home championships, which is, like what he's good for in texas apparently <laughs> but then once he's like marked... that's how they that's their measuring stick yeah. can you play football yes okay you're going to be a god to us now yes oh we should also mention that Haley spent some time in texas a, a, a good amount of yeah too much time in texas <laughs> especially in fort worth which is just like trash on trash sorry fort worthians <laughs> But um, I did. I am from there. Where is Dylan supposed to be? I think it's like south of Waco or like west of Waco. It's like kind of in the boonies, but not too far away that okay. you're in the middle of nowhere. I think I looked it up one time and they said it was like somewhere there because they go to Austin a lot. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, they totally do. So I feel like it can't be too far away from Austin. I think it's relevant in the sense that like Texas is poor in a lot of places, especially True. in the outskirts, even though those are usually like your farming towns that are helping bring in 
profit for the state, but really those people who are like looking after the farms are not the people who are making the money. So it's definitely like a very classist system, much like most of other states where you're wealthy or in the cities and then you're poor or in the middle of nowhere and they have limited options. Yeah, which definitely plays a role in Kim's story. And also, I feel like it's supposed to be, like, definitely oil country, right? Like, I feel like there's mention of there being, like, oil fields and stuff. Oil, like, cattle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they have Luke as is the is farm boy representation uh, in the story. Um, yeah. Sweet farm boy. Yeah, so sweet. But yeah, so I guess one thing as we're about to go into his journey because that's what we're basically gonna do is we're gonna like this is the thesis and we're gonna go through the whole journey and explain to you and you're gonna you're by the end you're gonna be like oh my god y'all are right abolition now (laughs) (laughs) but i'm gonna as i said i'm gonna definitely be quoting mariam kaba's we do this till we free us which i think is like the best introduction to abolition if you like actually want to and in the show notes there will be like lots of abolitionist resources including that book which we're gonna be referring to a lot and one of her like abolitionist strategies that she discusses in the book are defense campaigns, which are usually when you're like trying to free survivors of domestic violence who are convicted for defending themselves from their, you know, rapist attacker. We all know that this is the kind of shit that happens a lot and systemically in the US. And that basically <clears throat> defense campaigns are, even though they're about an individual person, she says that the campaign should be framed not as this is the one person who shouldn't be in prison, but everyone else should be. Rather, individual cases should be framed as emblematic of the conditions faced by thousands or millions who should also be free. And I felt like that's kind of what we're trying to do in a way by telling the story of Tim Riggins, because I think that some people can find abolition kind of like academic and intimidating. But maybe if we tell a familiar teen drama story through an abolitionist lens, we can, you know, help lend some basic understanding what we're trying to accomplish when we say like no more pic which is the prison industrial complex yes i hope i can help you tell the story (laughs) and so i thought we would start with a couple of like basic definitions in case people are like newer to the topic so like i in getting ready for this episode read both why are prisons obsolete by angela davis and mariam kava's book so angela davis who is you know one of the like ogs of the fighting the prison industrial complex gives a good definition. She says, the exploitation of prison labor by private corporations is one aspect among an array of relationships linking corporations, government, correctional communities, and media. These relationships constitute what we now call a prison industrial complex. The term prison industrial complex was introduced by activists and scholars to contest prevailing beliefs that increased levels of crime were the root cause of mounting prison populations. Instead, they argued prison construction and the attendant drive to fill those new structures of human bodies have been driven by ideologies of racism and the pursuit of profit, which um, is true. (laughs) Just turning crimes into capitalism, as our world does. And if people didn't know, like, crime has not been, like, steadily rising for, like, the past, like, 30 years, and yet the prison system has been responding as if that was what was happening and it's all fucking propaganda it's fucking racist and it's all capitalist as well because we have like we have an entire industry in this country whether it's not even just private prisons like with public prisons like you know like everything from like making phone calls into and out of prison is like huge industry like it's just like a prison industrial complex yeah at the same time <laughs> they use 
the prisoners for labor. Yep. Like, they're usually the ones that are fighting all these wildfires on the West Coast. Yep. And they don't get paid to do it. So you are literally using labor for free and collecting every dollar that you can from that person, which is just, like, really messed up. Yep. So... To put it very gently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, like, a basic definition of what we're going to be talking about. If we say, like, PIC, I just feel like it's an easy shorthand. We're going to be talking about that. And so what if PIC abolition? Maryam Kaba has, like, I think she's just an amazing job of, like, breaking it down in pretty plain language. So on only the second page of her book, she says... Some people might think of abolition as primarily a negative project, like let's tear everything down tomorrow and hope for the best. The PIC abolition is a vision of a restructured society in a world where we have everything we need. Food, shelter, education, health, art, beauty, clean water, and more things that are foundational to our personal and community safety. So yeah, we're just like, going to be looking at Tim Riggins' this journey through an abolitionist lens. And so we're going to be thinking about which of these things he has and maybe doesn't have and maybe what it would look like and how his journey would be different if he had access to all of those things consistently. And then three principles of PIC abolition that I thought are really break it down as far as like if you're thinking about you know getting involved in abolitionist stuff this kind of explains why it's defund the police and not like police reform which is the more liberal solution prison industrial complex abolition calls for the elimination of policing imprisonment and surveillance pic abolition rejects the expansion in breadth or scope or legitimation of all aspects of the prison industrial complex so surveillance policing sentencing imprisonments of all sorts that includes like immigrant detention. PIC abolition refuses premature death and organized abandonment, the state's modes of reprisal and punishment. So basically like people who are like, oh, people should just go to jail for the rest of their lives instead of the death penalty. It's like, no, that's also like a social death. It's like a premature death. So we shouldn't do that to people either. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of like the the core principles of abolition. And I think that Miriam Kaba says a lot, like you have to really, I don't know, I feel like you have to really like fit with that for and like, like they say that like the cops are in our hearts and our heads too, because we're like raised in this society and there's so much propaganda and like our media. So it's it's like, you have to like really like think about it and like, sit with it for a while I feel like I'll just say that off of that <laughs> yeah no I agree I definitely have always I mean you know me I'm a very scared little white lady who <laughs> has never done anything wrong but I still live in fear of doing the wrong thing or getting in trouble even though most of the time I know I'm not and I think that's definitely just because of like how I've grown up and knowing like cops are the good guys they're the ones that will protect you when that's not the case at yeah. all <laughs> yeah and for a lot of the crimes that women would have to call for it's like generally not great like if you raped i wouldn't call the cops like no what are they gonna do no maybe put you through like more are trauma. you sure yeah <laughs> yeah put you through more trauma basically it's like no thank you so yeah and so as we're going into it i also just wanted to briefly discussed obviously we're talking about like a white character and he's not as emblematic of who is actually behind bars like the racial disparities we all know are insane and we're going to talk a little bit about vince who kind of like narrowly escapes juvenile detention thanks to coach taylor and football but if he didn't have the taylors as like most people don't have a, a coach taylor to, to bail them out like that he would probably be behind bars and that would be very emblematic of the prison industrial complex 
so i just wanted to like you know make sure we know like we know that tim isn't like the average person in prison and you should definitely go read michelle alexander's the new jim crow to completely understand how the prison industrial complex is an extension of slavery and jim crow and basically just the next iteration of you know social control over black folks which has been how this country was founded but I do think that Tim kind of like represents the white poor population of our prisons because I think that like some poor white kids who grow up alongside, you know, like Latino and, and black kids like end up in the same kind of school, the prison pipeline. So I feel like Tim represents that little <laughs> population. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting seeing the difference between Tim and Saracen mm. when I was watching the show because they obviously both grew up on the poorer side of the team however because i think saracen had a little bit more structure with his grandmother it allowed him not allowed him but it helped him i guess to not have to like worry about where food or water or any of those like social needs were coming from because his grandmother and his even his dad even though he was kind of a shithead they yeah. provided for him and created structure for him whereas tim just didn't have that so he was already kind of set up to fail in that instance and the fact that he didn't really have anything steady to support him on his own yeah that's exactly what i wanted to talk about anyway like high school tim so high school tim yeah the start of of our journey is you know him in high school and as we're going through this journey we can we can think of Miriam Kaba saying let's ask what can we imagine for ourselves in the world if we do that then boundless possibilities of a more just world await us so I'm excited to see what we feel like a more just version of the story would be as we're going along and telling the actual story. So when we meet Tim he lives with his brother like I basically rewatched season one and then I skipped two and three, which I was really sad about because like three is like my fave, but I had two for time's sake. And then I watched four and five. So in season one, when you meet Tim, like I didn't even realize his brother isn't even technically his legal guardian. And like their dad just abandoned them. I think his dad's supposed to, oh, their dad's supposed to be like an alcoholic. That's yeah, like, alcoholic, yeah. like grifter type sort who like steals and obviously is not really what an ideal role model for a parent or guardian. Yeah, and so I feel like Tim has, like, abandonment issues and, like, daddy issues, and he's also just kind of, like, cool if the rally girl is doing his schoolwork for him, and, like, Tammy kind of is like, hey, y'all should, like, actually do your homework yourself. <laughs> and, like, um, so the Taylors intervene in the lives of both Tim and Vince, which is important because, like, they're both the kind of people who don't have structure in their regular lives. I feel like high school Tim is like totally fucked around but at the same time people who care about him are trying their hardest like billy does try really hard to get him into like college and make him like be the first riggins who goes to college i think of when jason and billy made like a highlight reel for tim so that he could you know send it to colleges it's like you know a community takes a village kind of vibe yeah um, piecing it together there for high school tim which is Going back to when you met my entire family on move-in day, it definitely took a village to like raise me and have so many different like people in my life. And I can't imagine not having like a type of structure like that to help me be where I am today. So the thought of like not having any of that, I can't even imagine like how you can like figure out what road you should go down for your life and what is right and wrong in the sense of like, what should I do to like better myself? And I don't think Billy's much older than Tim. 
you know i think he's only a few years older so he's also a kid just trying to figure it out too yep definitely and he just like wants him to be better than him for sure which is very admirable for such a young guy even though he fucks up all the time <laughs> all the time he never does the right thing yeah but he has a, he hits usually in the right place yeah and then at season, I don't even remember why, but in season two, at one point, like, Tim lives in an actual meth lab. Like, I just think it's really important for us to, like, establish and note that, like, unstable housing is, like, a consistent thing in Tim's life. Miriam Kaba says, like, research and common sense suggests that economic precarity is correlated with higher crime rates. It's, like, a really obvious one, but, <laughs> like... <laughs> Sometimes it needs to be said to people in the back. Yep. Yep. And the thing is that even despite all of this, Tim grows into like a really good football captain. Like I feel like he mentors Ferrison a little bit. He mentors JD a little bit, even though he totally doesn't deserve to be mentored. It's just like really why Tim is such a good example. Like he leaves high school like such a well-respected guy. And, you know, like we were saying before, like the, the criminal punishment system then labels him as bad. But like you have seen for three seasons three and a half seasons before that ever happens that he's a very good person who like cares about people he's good with kids and like he's just so cute <laughs> he's so cute i love him so much when you said earlier like beauty is one of the things i was like well he has that uh, for him <laughs> beauty inside and out he just yeah. lacks everything else in order for him to like survive <laughs> yeah i mean considering that the land which we'll talk about pays such a big role in this storyline like he appreciates like the beauty of texas you know texas forever all that <laughs> yeah so as we're getting into the setup for season four in the state finals episode billy like wakes him and lila up to show them the property he bought and he's like yeah i'm gonna name it riggins riggs it's gonna be oh, awesome God, that's perfect Billy. yeah Put a hydraulic lift right there where that car is. Yeah. You know, a little refrigerator over in the corner. Well, that's stocked a must full have. of beer. Yeah. Must have. 24-7, fixing cars, drinking beer. I mean, what more do you need? It's awesome. And I feel like that is what initially plans the seed of like tempting Tim to not go to college. Like he's supposed to originally go to San Antonio State with Lila because like, all of her college money was gambled away by Buddy fucking Garrity. But then she ends up being able to go to Vanderbilt and suddenly he's going alone and he's like, well, I could just stay here and do Riggins Riggs. And Billy is like, no, like you need to go. And then on top of all that, Mindy is pregnant, you find out in the season three finale. So yeah. Billy's like, Riggins Riggs has to work out because like we have to feed an, a, a child now. So that's kind of where we end up in season four. We meet Tim Riggins in college, and literally his pro the professor says every character has a journey. It's very heavy-handed. And Riggins seems to take this to mean that his journey is elsewhere because he, like, get leaves the classroom, gets into his car, and, like, throws his textbooks out the window and <laughs> drives home. Always a dramatic flair for Tim. <laughs> and... Basically, he's like, okay, Riggins Riggs is my plan. Like, I'm going to do the whole fixing cars and drinking beers with my brother thing. That's fine with me. But, 
like Billy, there's like a scene where Tim and Billy are like painting his baby's room and they end up getting into like this huge fight after Tim like makes fun of the paint color because like he's just like, I literally like busted my ass to get you into college and you couldn't even make it through September. And this fight is what leads Tim to find another place to live, which brings us to our first scene. All right, so this is the first scene that really inspired this entire episode. Tim is sleeping in his truck. Hey! Here comes Sheriff. Wake up! Come on, get up. You can't be here. This is private property. Yeah, aren't you, uh... Aren't you Tim Riggins? Yes, sir. Hey, now, you're gonna have to get yourself together and get out of here. You can't be here. Okay. I feel like being Tim Riggins is a privilege that he has as a white football star that kept him from actually getting arrested. Start there. <laughs> Yes, definitely. It's like helps that he's white and it also helps that he's a big football star that gave him state championships. So it would have been a very different situation if it was Vince, not only because he's part of East Dillon, but also a black man and not a big football star yet. So it is kind of crazy when you think when you like watch the rest of the series, like how different they treat people based on one, the color of your skin and two, how you are able to contribute to the community via your sports skills. Yep, exactly. Like you like literally gain like football privilege in like Texas. <laughs> like it's a real thing. <laughs> I believe yeah, it. Yeah, it's really scary. I believe it because I feel like people say that Friday Night Lights like really captures that Texas football energy like accurately. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my God. So like so certain things like rally girls, like certain parts of it. I'm like, if this is close to normal, yikes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I figured. It's very close to normal. And I didn't even go to like, my town wasn't like a huge football town, but like the town that my old babysitter was from, which is very much like a Dillon town, football was big. And like everyone played it. Like they moved Halloween. If it ever fell on like a Friday night, it would move to another night so you could go to the game. So it's very wild how they like set up their world around football. Yeah, and Friday night. Um, friday nights sundays it's big so i guess like one of the things that really gets me about this scene is the fact that he's on private property because that is one of the like points that we make all the time is that like cops have always been like they they come from the idea of like a slave catcher and that is when you know slaves were considered property like they have origins and being strike breakers like like pinkertons like they always protect capital and private property and so like this this scene really shows that where these like you're on private property like like and like who cares that this like what is he 19 18 still your old boy clearly has nowhere to sleep like don't we want to live in a society where whoever is tasked with public safety is like hey the problem i see here is that a like vulnerable kid has nowhere to sleep not oh there's a like somebody on this private property i need to like remove which is like literally how our society currently functions also texas is ginormous like there's so much land and you can't be like 
everything's private property and closing off like opportunities for people. I remember when I was in Texas, we were learning in fourth grade, you learned about Texas history. And we read about this farmer. She was like one of the first female farmers and her ranch farm was bigger than the state of Rhode Island. So ever since then, I also thought Rhode Island was not a state because I'm like, how can a farm be bigger than a state? (laughs) But just the fact that someone's able to like own that much land and they aren't willing to like share it with the community or like create other types of opportunities for them. Instead, they just are like, I'm going to keep all this land for myself is insane. Yeah, truly is. A couple of relevant Miriam Kaba quotes. Why should armed people be deployed to do the work of community members and social workers? Why have we become so comfortable of ceding so much power to the police? Felt like that was relevant. And also public spaces in urban and suburban towns are contested. Like, I feel like that's exactly what we're like talking about. Like, it's like an endless fields of, you know, space that should be enjoyed by all. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what he ends up doing is basically renting a trailer for a very cheap amount of money from somebody who he had like a one night stand with a bar bartender, I think she is. And that begins his like friendship slash Becky having a crush on him with Becky. I have very mixed feelings about Becky. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wasn't a fan of her. And it comes to like the other ensemble characters. Yeah. She's, she's a weak link. She's a weak link. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're going to pick up with the Riggins. This is like the situation. Now he's secured housing, but he's still working for Riggins rigs and he's not making a lot of money because like Billy doesn't have that much money to pay him with. And so amidst all of that, Mindy is seven months pregnant and they're going through a drive through which I think is like a really funny scene that we're not going to watch it because we don't have time. Um, like a Whataburger drive through and like Mindy starts moaning in pain while they're trying to figure out how to pay with like all these different coins and stuff. And so they go to the hospital and we're going to watch what happens when they get to the hospital, which kind of begins this entire saga. I want to admit you to the hospital overnight. Uh, she needs to be on the magnesium sulfate for at least 24 hours. Everything's going to be okay, right? I mean, the baby and everything, she's going to be fine. It, it should be, but she's going to need to go on bed rest. Okay. Um, for how long? For two months until the baby's full term. I'll check back with you later. Oh my god. Everything's gonna be fine, okay? You, you aren't gonna have to do anything. Me and Tim are gonna take care of everything. You won't have to lift a finger, right? Uh, Doc? Doc? Uh, look, I, I don't exactly have insurance right now. I mean, I was, I was gonna pay for the birth uh, out of pocket, but uh, I wasn't exactly expecting it to cost this much. Is there anything? We might be able to work out or, or some kind of deal or... Uh, you know, it, it costs what it costs. Uh, there are payment plans, but still, the contractions are waning. You can take her home and keep her on her side and we'll hydrate it. It, it may be enough. Then, um, then we'll keep her here overnight. Uh, you know, premature labor is uh, something that usually happens more than once. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Really bad times. Listen. I know you and I have talked about my thoughts on health insurance and the medical community. Mm-hmm. And I think that all of it is bullshit. Yep. Um, 
having a baby is expensive. Very expensive. I'm going to go off on a tangent. Sorry. No, it's okay. Having it's a baby is expensive. <laughs> having a baby, just like even birthing it in a hospital can cost like thousands of dollars, even with insurance. And then you have to literally keep it alive yep. for a long time. So it's just like the whole chicken and egg situation, which can be related back to this of like having proper sex, educa- sex education and proper systems of like, if we're not going to change how health insurance works, then you need to set up a system to make sure that people are prepared for these kind of things. So when you have a poor community and you're getting pregnant, it's hard to then provide for the life that you're trying to give even before it's even around. So it's going to make people do desperate things that might be against the law to help pay for these. So it's basically a whole system that's just set up to fail for anyone that is not a wealthy white person who can afford a lifestyle. So it's, it all is connected to like one larger system that needs to be changed. Yep. Anyhow, rant over. We need Medicare for all now. And like Medicare for all is like an abolitionist policy, if you think about it that way, because like we're about to see lack of health insurance or, you know, and if we had universal health insurance, it wouldn't be like, oh, thousands and thousands of dollars. It would be like it's covered to have a child. (laughs) One of my favorite TikToks that I saw recently, it was like name a TV show that would be different if it was like in a different country and it was making fun of Breaking Bad and there was like you have cancer and then they were like it's gonna cost you zero dollars to get it okay that sounds good instead of him like going and making meth and I'm like that is so crazy to think about that a whole tv show would have no premise if it wasn't in America and so I mean, it's just there's a, whole, a wild system. There's a whole genre of like teen movies that has popped up recently where it's just like road trips to get abortions and like birth control and stuff. And it's like these are just like distinctly American like problems that like if we could change society, we wouldn't even like that premise wouldn't even make sense anymore. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like this archaic thing. And now it's just like real life of people can't afford stuff. So they have to go through desperate means to be able to afford things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so before we go to the next one, we'll just we'll conclude with Maryam Kaba's quote. We don't want to just close police departments. We want to make them obsolete. We should redirect the billions that now go to police departments toward providing health care, housing, education and good jobs. If we did this, there would be no less need for the police in the first place. And it's like, yeah, all of those things would change this story. So, yeah. So um, they're like, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> What ends up happening is kind of cool because I think a lot of what abolitionists like futures look at are like how the community can be used. Like, how can we use the communities we already have toward the public good? And I feel like that's kind of what ends up happening here. Like, it's mutual aid that ends up happening. So, that's all one thing we didn't mention is that the fact that she's on bed rest, Mendy, means that she can't do her profession of, you know, dancing at the club so like in addition to the fact that it's going to cost more money than they thought it was going to she can't work which i don't know if we mentioned before so i also didn't know you could dance when you were seven months pregnant i mean that just seems like a talented (laughs) yeah a talented woman right there to be able to do that because i can't even do that and i'm not pregnant yeah seriously all right so we're in the strip club I'm broke. We gotta sell something. What do we have to sell, Tim? We don't have anything to sell besides Kit Kat. No, we're not selling Kit Kat. It's the face of Regan's Reeves. You're right. You're right. I love that damn cow. 
Cheers, boys. Couple beers on me. Thank you. How's my girl doing? She's doing good. She's doing better. I mean, her mom's taking care of her right now. Give Tim and I a little break from the, the ringing of the bell every five seconds. That bell. What? I don't want her to stress out about things. Okay. Me and the girls been talking, and we want to throw Mindy a baby shower. Okay, but we also want to tie in a fundraiser, make it a co-ed shower, girls dance and whatnot, guys pay admission and whatnot. All the proceeds go to help Mindy, baby, and all the medical bills. Yeah. yeah. Hey, no, I, I like this. Yeah. Honey, Mindy and I have been friends since she was 17, okay? She's like a sister to me. I want to do this. Where, where would we do it, though? Your place isn't big enough. No, not for something like this. Dude. No, he can't host it. He, he lives in a trailer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what about... Reagan's Riggs. That may be the smartest thing you've ever said in your whole entire life. Work. Really? Riggan's right, Riggs, like let's plans, do this. Okay? Yeah. Enjoy right. the beers. Thank you. Thank you. No Thank great call. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah. Women really get shit done, huh? They are just sitting there yeah. like, what do we do? <laughs> and she's just like, here, I have an entire plan for you on how to make money and also get you ready for a baby. Yep. Well, that's pretty Women badass. are just the best. Yeah. yeah, I really love a lot of the like moments they have with like the workers at the landing strip. Like, I feel like they have like a really nice talk with Becky at one point, like when she's like nervous about Luke or something, and they're all back there. So I uh, just like I appreciate their yeah. energy and then the way that they come together as a community to take care of each other. I think another side tangent. I just really love how in this entire TV show how they like really flesh out the female characters, even if they are true as small as like workers in the strip club, like even they have like an arc and they are fully fleshed out and they're not just like flat people. So I really love that about the show in general. Yeah, that's definitely true. But yeah, so I feel like we're kind of doing an IRL GoFundMe um, before there were GoFundMe's for medical care as we do in this country because we don't have universal health care. So we're gonna go to the fundraiser, which at the fundraiser, Billy gets a proposition. Everybody, thank you very much for coming out. Remember that every wraps a ticket that you buy, every dollar that you stick between the thighs of one of these luscious, luscious, beautiful women goes to help me, goes to help you, goes to help my family and my future kid, all right? Thank you for coming out. I can't, I can't open it. You got it. Everybody rip it. Let me know how it lets you. Uh-huh. It's a nice place you got right here. Well, thank you. you. Ready to make some real money? Yeah, I'd, I need to make some money. I got a business opportunity to really make you a rich man. All right? What kind of business opportunity are you talking about? Can't talk about that right now, man. Okay. But, uh, let me holler at my man. I'll get back to you. Hey, yeah. Hey, congratulations on the kid, man. Nice. Yeah. That's kind of the setup for the after hours work that Billy will be doing. It's just like so sad, you know, like he's so they, they're so desperate. Like, can you imagine like the medical bills they're already staring at before even the birth of the child? Like, oh, my God. No, I because like, obviously, now that we're married, kids have been brought up many times. And I'm like, I am my own baby. I am not ready for that. But at the same time, like financially, I'm not ready for that. I can't even imagine how much it would cost. You have to literally go to doctor's appointments all the time, yep. even before having a kid. And then you have to prep for the kid, make sure there's room for it. So it's really wild. I know another tangent, 
you just need to watch Superstore. I know, <laughs> I know it's, it's on, on my your list. next show. I know. But there's a whole plot line of one of the characters getting pregnant and like how are they going to pay for it? Mm. And she like can't pay for the hospital, the nice hospital room. So she has to go to like the free clinic, which is just like a shithole because there's no money ever going to free clinics. So it's just a really great storyline that all kind of ties very closely. Yeah, because again, uh, American problems going to keep being told until they're not American problems anymore. I feel like we said that in one of the other episodes this season too. (laughs) Bookends. We're bookending it. Yep, yep. And so in the next episode is when Tim discovers the land for sale that he like falls in love with. He inquires about it. He finds out it's like a lot of thousands of dollars because it's like acres of land. (laughs) And then Mindy calls Tim for help with a backed up toilet because she's obviously on bed rest. And Tim comes and when he's there, he's like, where is Billy? She kind of like sounds confused and is like, he's on a late job. Like you didn't know that? Because they both work at Riggins Riggs, right? And so Mindy starts getting paranoid, like, oh my god, maybe he's cheating on me. And so we're gonna now watch the scene where him going to confront Billy. What the hell are you doing? Morning. Yeah, morning. And you can be honest with me, man. It's, um, I'm just, are you messing around on Mindy? <laughs> no. No. So I know you, you've been working late and all that kind of stuff, and I was over there, and she's all worried and stressed out, and maybe you I'm just... not cheating on Mindy, all right? What's all this late-night stuff, then? Just doing the... Well, after-hours work, that's all. Kind of after-hours work. You know, it's uh, the kind of after-hours work that you can't really uh, do in the daytime. You get it? No, Billy, I don't get it. That's why I'm asking. What do you mean, after-hours? all right, uh, okay. Uh, a couple guys came to me Who? a couple weeks ago. And they gave me a little proposition and, uh... What kind of proposition? Once or twice a week, they, they come by with a car and I break it down to its component parts. They need it turned around in a, in a, in a quick time and they pay really, really good shop. for that. That's stupidest. Yeah, well, it's a plan, Tim. You got a better plan? Yeah, Billy. We had a plan. I mean, we just had a party here and raised buckets of money. Buckets of Where's money? Where's all that money, then, buckets Billy? Of money. You want to know where that money is, yeah, Tim? I do. I went to two trips to the pharmacy, all right? And one meeting with a specialist. That money's gone. You got any other plans? Tell me about it. Yeah, Billy. This. This was our plan, Billy. Riggins Riggs. Tim, it's a temporary thing, Temporary okay? thing. It's temporary. You have no idea what you're Look, risking, nobody's dude. getting hurt here, man. You keep reminding me, like, every week that you have a family and, and this mechanic shop is some dream of yours. Tim, that's the whole I mean, reason Tim, I'm doing this, okay? The whole reason I'm doing this is for my family. This is going to prevent me from, from, from going bankrupt. It's, it's going to make sure that Mindy's going to be okay and that my baby's going to be okay, all right? And once it's over with, everything will go back to normal. Yeah, so then Tim walks away, like, very distressed. So it's such a sad and emotional scene, and I love that they had Billy be like, that money went to two, like, trips to the pharmacy and a meeting as a specialist, because that is so fucking real. And it's like the triumphant moment of the fundraiser was, like, cool and everything, but, like, then in reality, that money didn't even last, like, till the baby was born. 
Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because you like understand both sides of like Tim saying this. We, I thought we like had a plan and Billy being like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just trying to provide for my family because he doesn't have other options. Miriam Kaba had a quote that I thought was really relevant to this scene. We have to acknowledge the reality that often it is hurt people who hurt other people. Understanding that harm originated from situations dominated by stress, scarcity, and oppression. One way to prevent violence is to make sure that people have support to get the things they need. But yeah, I thought that was very relevant to that scene. <laughs> like very relevant yeah. and so tim being like we can't do crime like like he still believes that like somehow the dream of you work hard and then you like make enough money to provide for yourself is actually true and not just like an american myth and so becky helps tim prepare for a job interview because he's all like i want to earn money in an honest way and he like puts on a suit and like has an interview at a department store or whatever and it doesn't go anywhere <laughs> and he shows Becky the land and so like you know that's still on his mind and it kind of makes sense he's had such an unstable home life for like ever that like his dream being just having like this beautiful land where he can build a house for himself is it makes sense like that's all he wants you know it's all he's ever wanted it's just like a stable home I think that's also like going back to what you're saying about like this American dream like that is just more propaganda that we've been given our entire lives so you think that that will then bring you happiness and I mean, I'm not saying that it won't for Tim, but it's just the fact that like sometimes that American dream isn't actually like attainable because of the systems that America built to make it very hard for it to be attainable. Yeah, exactly. Like Riggins Riggs cannot do well enough for the mountain of bills and debt coming their way, unfortunately. And he's literally talking about avoiding bankruptcy. And it's like, this is what happens. Like people get into medical debt and they like go bankrupt in this country. Like it's like a normal thing that happens in this awful society. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this show is awesome for actually like telling very real American stories. And so... Tim has all those experiences, and after his failed attempt to get a job, he returns to Riggins Riggs. Oh, and it's late at night. I guess I should also mention that. <laughs> oh, Lord, man. the crap out of me. What's with the monkey suit? How much money are we talking about? Tim. I don't want you involved in this. How much? You'll make more money in two months than you could in two years. Two months? Two months, Max. And at the end, you... It's like a visual thing so there's no point in us watching it but <laughs> you see him you see uh tim helping billy disassemble a car so they are both now in on this and that sort of continues in the background for much of the next couple episodes but then a couple episodes later like tim has a moment with a client who says he won't take any more of the car frames anymore and he's like you keep showing up with these stripped cars basically being like i can't be a part of this like clearly something illegal is going on and back at the auto shop there's also a moment where like an unsuspecting customer like tries to just like look under a like covered car and it's clearly one of the illegal ones because like billy freaks the fuck out on the customer so they're just like 
very on edge living this life which i think is important to note it's like not necessarily like it's like what they have to do but it's like still stressful because the state has criminalized those activities oh yeah and then they do that ridiculous thing where they like bury a bunch of the like car frames or something because they can't figure out what else to do they decide they have to stop and <laughs> they've made their money and they're like ready to get out and then they like literally bury it and they're like stupid sin we ever done stupidest thing we've ever done by far Five the point seconds. is i'm done i'm done we've made our money we've made it and then some promise me we're out this is it no more legal crap no more chop shop we're done it's over billy let's just go back to fixing cars Riggins, rigs, brothers, that's it. Keep it simple. Promise me that. We're done. That's why, like, I, another reason I could never be a criminal outside of my own guilt is I would not be able to think through a plan like this. If, like, no. I'd never even thought you have a chop shop, what do you do with the frame of the car? Because you don't really need that for anything. I wouldn't right. know what to do with it. But, like, a lot of people in desperate situations also don't have, like, a thought-out plan right. of what they would do. So it's just, it's really tough to watch because you want to help them, even though they're fictional characters that you're yeah. watching on TV. But, like, you know that that is, like, a real life for someone in the world that we live in, and it's real life for a lot of people. Yeah, and they're just, like, kind of flailing around, and it's so sad. They're like, we just want to pay our bills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And they do make an insane amount of money from this, you know, as they said, to make more in two months than you would in two years. And so Tim does go to the bank and, like, brings, like, an insane amount of cash, which I kind of wonder if that, like, tips anyone off that something's going on, like, to buy his land. So he does buy it, and he, like, takes Becky and her mom out to eat, feeling all, like, celebratory. And, like, Becky's kind of like, where did you get this money? And he, like, lies about it. So it's, like, things are starting to fall apart. And so then Tim ends up no longer staying in the trailer so becky brings the rest of his stuff to him and at that moment billy calls to tell tim that mindy's about to give birth and so i just want to mention that because i think tim being like an uncle and how excited he is about being an uncle is like a really adorable part of the story and i think it's also like pretty relevant and so you get to see the riggins colette family celebrating the newborn son it's like a big triumphant family moment there's a moment when tim and billy stare at the newborn baby and they're like about to go into work together and then like tim tells billy he can handle it and he'll like stay home like be a dad for the day how do you get away with just sleeping like this <laughs> i think he's waking up yeah you want to ride into work together you're good be a dad for a day you serious yeah we got two cars coming yeah up. i can take care of two cars really can you be a dad for a day he'll be dead for a week hey. thanks man and there's even a moment in this episode which i feel like this episode is one of the like you can tell when you watch a lot of teen dramas when like something awful is about to happen to a character because like too many good things are happening to them <laughs> because he's like at his land and he's like i love it and he's like never thought i'd say this but i do feel like i figured it out you know figured out life life it's all about you know this you know, owning this land and, and Billy and just his his son and the shop doing as well as it is and you know, I don't it's just so I'm happy. And I can honestly say that. So obviously when a teen drama character says they're happy, something awful must happen, that it's a rule. And in this case, obviously, he has been 
doing criminal activity and it's about to catch up to him. So uh, we will go to the sad moment when everything changes. Remember that Tim went out of his way to have Billy stay home with his son today rather than come into work. So it's like very orchestrated that Tim's alone in the scene, I feel like. She's just so happy. Ooh, stupid police. Right? Oh, and guns drawn for those who can't see. Jim Riggins? <laughs> 33. She's a football star, huh? Used to be. What you been doing in here? She's fixing cars, sir. Need to ask you a few questions. About some missing cars. Okay, so you Stay don't else. actually see him get arrested, but in the previously on for the next episode, like, you do? So I'm like, did they cut it? Like, I don't know, network TV times. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that for, like, a few things when I was watching Friday Night Lights, and then I'd look on Tumblr for videos, and there'd be, like, scenes that I would see on Tumblr that I would never see in the series. So I feel like they did cut a lot from the show. Yeah. Which is weird. So he gets arrested in that moment. So Billy isn't with him when he gets arrested, but we then go to Billy and Tim in a holding cell together, which makes it clear that, like, they have enough evidence to, like, hold both of them. That it's, like, the Riggins rig chop shop or whatever they've managed to uncover. him crying which is like heartbreaking ah. uh, Miriam Kaba says so long as the structures that instill desperation are maintained some people will be shaped by desperation I just feel like that's just like their whole story the poor Reagan's brothers yeah they try their best but they also like need to live in this world and sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures yep. which I feel like is a very American phrase at this point yeah Definitely. <laughs> so we're going to go now to the Riggins brothers talking to their lawyer about, you know, what's going to happen next now that they are in the clutches of the criminal punishment system. I always cry in this episode. Okay, well. <laughs> I will cry now when uh, I watch the whole right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it just has a lot of feels in this episode. A lot of feels. No, you're right. You're right. How many cars were there? Uh, a few. A few. Five. More than five. It was, it was more than five. More than five? Baby, we're trying to have a meeting here, okay? Seriously, look, we, we didn't steal the cars. The, the charge isn't theft. It's trafficking and stolen merchandise. How much time? Well, neither of you have serious records. You both have a drunken disorderly. Billy, you've got the two petty theft convictions. You have two petty theft convictions? Baby, it's not like you were, you're a saint either, you know? Remember where we met? Nice. That's rude. Look, I think I can make a deal. 
plead guilty to the trafficking charges and get you off the hook on the tax evasion, the accessory to Grand Theft Auto. If I can get you that deal, you're looking at about one to five years. And so, like, they literally have the baby, like, crying to, like, punctuate the point. It's so fucking sad. And so I feel like the main, the main thing that that scene gives me is just a criminal punishment system just, like, separates families, like, and creates more harm, like, in doing that. Like, how is that going to be good for any family to have a member torn away from them? Or in this case, if they were both convicted, two members of their family, like, torn away from them. Which is also two members of the family who could, like, provide income to create, like, or stable futures for their family so exactly. it all it just comes down to it's a cycle all the time absolutely and so then tim and billy are kind of like what the fuck are we gonna do and like billy is like you know being billy kind of like has the instinct to run even though he knows that he can't because he has a kid <laughs> and becky which i just wanted to say that like becky pisses me the fuck off when she like comes to the door and she's like i heard what happened you're a liar my mom was right about you and i'm like bitch back it all the way up and also you have clearly bought into this system because the second it marked tim as bad you decided that they were correct I hate that so much. <laughs> and so then Tim, like, it's clear that he's, like, thinking about what he's going to do because he knocks on Becky's door and, like, tells her that his family will always be there for her since they're friends and if she ever needs them. And she's like, where are you going? And he was just like, Promise me that you'll give me a second chance to earn back your trust. And he, like, kisses her on the forehead and, like, leaves. And it's like, shit's about to go down. So Tim makes a decision and we're gonna watch it I steal Billy for a sec, means. Oh, it was my first break ever. No, I won't be long. <laughs> okay. I'll be back in a sec. I'll see you, buddy. What's up, man? Uh, I did it. I did it all. What are you talking about? You did not do anything. When we closed the shop, I reopened it. Timmy, you no. had no idea this was happening. Timmy, I, I can't let you do I that. I stripped the cars. I took the money. No. I took the frames to the junkyard. I can't let you do that. You are my brother. You are all I have. I you have a family now. You are a father. And you need to be one. This is... My decision. This is what I've decided. This is what's gonna happen. So sorry. You're my brother. I'm so sorry. So yeah, so Tim decides to 
to take the rap for both of them and, and eat the prison sentence. <sighs> it's so tragic. Especially, like, I don't know. One to five years is a long time for two months of stripping cars, yep. I feel like. Yep. Mad fucked up. One of the many fucked up things. I mean, there's a lot of, like, bullshit with, like, mandatory minimums that could be at play here, you know? It's like... Yeah, I uh, rewatched the John Oliver mandatory minimums episode to prepare for this, yep. and it got me angry all over again. I'm just <laughs> like, how is this system in place to say that we need to do this? Yeah. And it it just continues with, like, the entire prison complex and how terrible it is once you're inside and how it then sets you up for failure once you're out, which we'll get into. Yep, yep, we're about to get there. So we're going to quickly watch this very depressing scene where, you know, Billy accompanies him to turn himself in, essentially. communities is what got us here like there's no other reason he should be going to prison and being separated from his family and creating like instability in the first year of this like child's life you know it's like it's just so sucky it is very unfair and so we're now gonna kind of switch to our like i don't know i guess like the latter part of our discussion which is about how being trapped within the prison industrial complex slash criminal punishment system like creates more harm and is actually like a traumatizing experience for people so like coming back out is like about healing from that in addition to the fact that our society treats people who have been in prison as an underclass and therefore makes it harder to earn money which was already a problem for a lot of people that <laughs> got them into yeah. prison so it just makes it worse as you said a cycle so we're going to really see in season five, Tim Riggins, how prison changes people. And it's really sad. So the first time we see him is in the first episode of season five. You see him one time when Billy comes to visit him. We're going to watch the prison visit. And then we kind of don't see him again until he's about to get out. So it's going to be our one glimpse at in prison, Tim. Here's me and Min and, and Stevie. We went to uh, New Braunfels earlier this year. Time flies, huh? Yeah. So, uh, you got, I guess, about three months left, right? Yeah, on good behavior. Yeah. You've been good, so. Yeah, I don't know many options. You know, uh, I, I was talking to men the other day, and I've actually been thinking about maybe, uh, coaching some football. What happened to Regan's race? Regan's race is fine. You know, this would be more just to, like, volunteer, you know? To, give something back 
the way I look at it, I was kind of like a coach to you, right? Coach was my coach, bro. <laughs> and what do you think? You think it's like a Yeah, have at her. You'd be a little more enthusiastic, you know? I'm sorry, Billy, but I'm in prison. And I don't think I can be your number one cheerleader at the moment. I'm sorry. But that, I want you to know that there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about what you did for me and my family. There's not a second of a day that goes by that I don't think about that. I just want to, you know, change my life a little bit. I don't want to be the Billy that I used Visiting to be. Visiting hours are over for today. Exit through the west gate. <clears throat> Keep the picks, man. Not allowed. You got to mail them for That's right. I'm sorry. You know you don't have to come as often as you do. I'll see you in a few days. Also, if you see Becky, I'd appreciate if you just tell her the same. Yeah. If I see her, I'll let her know. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. That's Tim in prison. He's very antisocial and just sad. I mean, that's kind of what, I don't know, especially thinking about like now during Corona of how a lot of outbreaks were in prison. Mm-hmm. Yep. And how they wouldn't let their family members come visit them because of Corona, yet they would let the guards and people go out and live their normal lives and then bring Corona into the prisons in the first right, place. So right. it's just, it is an isolating, you. it's an in-hospital environment that dehumanizes people for doing something that is non-violent for a large portion of the people that are in there. It's just like... I think it's just, like, such cruel and unusual punishment for exactly. a human. Exactly. It's, like, mental torture at the, like, at the very least, you know? And, like, physical torture at the worst. So, and, like, there's still solitary confinement, which, I, I, not that we don't, not that we know that he experiences that, but, like, there's just, there's straight-up torture happening in prisons. Like, if, if you, uh, you know, I, I personally think that being, like, isolated from society, it, it's gonna fundamentally change you that's like a traumatizing thing in and of itself if you really think about it yeah and then everything that goes on in prisons too of the, like the violence between inmates and the violence that the guards put on the inmates as well like it's just and i can't even imagine thinking that yeah. someone would come out there at the same person that went right. in exactly and just like it, like even in that scene like you couldn't even take the photographs like every aspect of your life is completely controlled by another force and it's just yeah i mean if you're listening to this podcast you probably don't need to be like you know <laughs> convinced but prisons are dehumanizing and awful but in between that scene and him coming out of prison which will be you know like the final arc that we discuss some things that happen in like in between becky ends up taking up the offer of needing tim's family's help and when she's left to like basically live with her evil stepmother <laughs> essentially she comes to the riggins family for shelter and they take her in and also simultaneously while tim is in prison vince's father is released from prison so i think it's interesting how we do get sort of a black perspective on being changed by prison in this as well there's this one scene in particular where jess says to vince like you think though maybe people change mm. you change i don't know i ain't go to jail and it's like yeah <laughs> like I don't think those are comparable. Like, the prison system ensures that people remain in a permanent underclass once they're paroled. Like, it's impossible to escape the, the cycle. And, like, you probably had it's an inherently violent and traumatizing place to be, let alone for the five years he was in prison, like Vince's dad specifically. Mm -hmm. There's no universe in which he's changed for the better in prison, Jess. I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> 
Not at all. Yeah. And Vince's dad says in the sixth episode of the season about prison, he says... Jail sucks, little man. You, you don't ever want to go there, okay? And you sad all the time. Matter of fact, you don't know if you're ever going to be happy again. Because you, you missing all the people that you love. You know, like how you, how you miss your daddy. And I, I guarantee that he, he is missing you. He is counting the days when y'all can all be together again as a family. Yeah, like I did. And I, it's just like, yeah, like prisons just disappear social problems and make them worse. They don't re rehabilitate people. And anyone who thinks that prisons rehabilitate people, like that is a little myth that they want you to think. <laughs> Now, I was reading some statistic and was saying how like a large people, a large amount of people go back to prison because they fail their parole because of their drug use and because they are addicted and being in prison didn't change anything about that. Exactly. They're still going to be addicted because they didn't provide resources. I think I was reading like Rhode Island is one of the few states that actually like provides like addiction help so that when they re-enter society, they aren't just going to go straight back to doing drugs, which could also lead to death more often than yep, not because yep. you've been without this drug you take the same amount that you were taking before yep. and your body's not used to it and then you die so like it's just you need to have a system where you're setting people up for once they re-enter life knowing that it is going to be different their lives are going to be different and that they're going to need help outside yeah. of just like 40 dollars and your clothes that you were wearing when you came in yeah and the fact that it isn't structured that way is how we know that it was never meant to rehabilitate people or, like, you know, make them better, but really to just, like, you know, punish. Like, punishment doesn't actually lead to, like, transformation. It just leads to, like, trauma. Yeah. Which um, then can lead you to do bad things all over again. Yep, exactly. And so then, while Tim's in prison, Mindy finds out she's pregnant again. Billy's, like, all excited, and Mindy's, like, not, because she's like, I'm gonna have to quit my job. Like, she's concerned about the very real healthcare costs, and, like, the cost of raising another child. They later find out that it is twins, so it's three children they're going to be raising. So that's kind of where we are when we re-enter Tim's arc toward the end of the season and the end of the show, where basically he has parole eligibility. So what the lawyer says is that basically Tim's sentence was for 24 months with parole eligibility after 10 months served. They can get him in front of a parole board, but they need character witnesses from the community to speak on his behalf. So that's when Billy goes and pays a visit to Eric Taylor and it's like, will you speak on Tim's behalf? And he immediately agrees because, you know, Eric Taylor is the best. And Buddy, who is has his own, you know, motivations of wanting to prove to Eric Taylor that Dylan has loyalty and he should never leave, is like, I'll speak for Tim too. So Buddy Garrity is also going to be a character witness. And Billy gets his parole packet and he just, I, I feel so bad for Billy during this whole thing because he is trying so hard to like perfect his speech. And when they are waiting in the hallway before the parole hearing, Tim is just like staring into the distance out the window. And he says, I don't want Billy to speak. He's done enough damage. And Billy is so upset by that because he already thought he was going to fuck up, you know, and uh, the lawyer is like, Tim. I don't think you understand how important Billy is to you. He's the family member that you'll be living with if you get an early release. Besides, how badly can he mess it up anyway? You'd be surprised. Just like, oh, God, heart-wrenching. But in, in the end, 
Philly does speak, which we're going to watch. And I just think it's like, as we're watching this, it's just like insane that like this even needs to be a thing. Like they have to like beg to even just be on parole and have like a life. It's not even like it's going to be a normal life, you know? Once you're on parole, you have so much of your life still controlled by the state. He's always been a great little brother, just a great person. He's a good American and he's changed. I'm sorry, that, that, that's not what I meant. I mean, he, he's still a good American. He's just not going to get in, in the kind of trouble that he got into before. I'm sorry. I, I wrote all this down, but um, bottom line is he's got a family that loves him and misses him and will be a good support system for when he gets out. I got a son who needs to know who his uncle is. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I understand we have a letter of support from Mr. Eric Taylor. Coach Taylor. Thank you. Uh, I'm a high school football coach. I don't think that there is any better position to be able to judge the content of a young man's character than that. I coached Tim for three years. He graduated, got a scholarship, went off to college. He came back. I offered him a job as an assistant coach. I didn't ask him to be an assistant coach because of his skills on the field which we all know were prodigious. I asked him to be part of our team because of his character off the field. The mistake that was made was tragic indeed. I think everyone in here agrees that it was a stupid mistake, but that mistake does not represent the man who's sitting in front of you. I can guarantee you that. He is a good young man. That's how I know him. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Taylor. If that's all the business we have, then- Wait, I'm here to speak, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I don't have anyone else on the list. Well, I'm- um... Buddy Garrity, I've owned businesses here in East Dillon for a long time. As you well know, Erica, you bought a Chevy Tahoe from me about three years ago. Uh, Mr. Garrity, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, me. but we normally we well, have sir, to please, have please, if you if, if you don't mind, please. I've known this young man since before he hit puberty, and this young man has done a lot of things wrong. I've seen him do a dozen things wrong, but let me tell you something right now. He is not a bad young man, and he's certainly not a criminal. He doesn't need to be in this system. He dated my daughter for years, and we took him in like family, so he's like family to me. And I can tell you, this kid right here has got more heart than almost any person I know. And I can promise you that when you let him out, he will have a full-time job working for me. And I can guarantee you that nothing like this will ever happen again. You have my word on that. It's time for you to let Tim Riggins come home. <laughs> Thank you. They tell you how long it takes for them to decide. I've been told two weeks. Bailiff said that you've been taking classes. Some time off for good behavior. Yes, sir. Good behavior. Did you get my letters? I did. I'm sorry I didn't come visit more. I'm sorry I let you down. You didn't. Oh. And that's not why I'm here. him getting cuffed and it fucking kills me like that image is just ugh. so dehumanizing i hate it eric taylor way to be man way to be a good man i just don't understand i strive every day to be like what would the taylors do and that's who i that's what i wake up thinking every day like what would how would they react in the situation yes. because they're just like such good people Totally. And they are just like the parents to everyone in the town. And they are the support system and like the change that we all are looking for. Of like, they take people in, they provide like, you know, help and guidance for them when 
one of them is pregnant and like what do you do in that situation and gives them all the options for them and then like they are who we want like the future to be of like without a like police prison complex of who we need as like a support system exactly. i think like, they're really emblematic of it totally like being community-minded like if we all thought that way then we'd all be making sh- like we were we'd all be looking out for each other and ensuring that everyone was safe today taylor yeah. totally do that yeah exactly they like make sure everyone in their life is like safe and cared for it's awesome exactly um, also this is another thing that feels kind of like a little like a white privilege aspect of tim's story is the fact that he had someone like buddy garrity who's like a business owner who can be like i'm gonna give you a job as soon as you get out like i feel like that would play a huge role in him getting out which he does so that's like one of the good deeds that buddy garrity who normally is the worst does so good for him for that and so at the end of this episode free football game in the riggins colette house tim has come home everyone's like drinking beers and and he has returned, he gets his keys back, and so begins on parole Tim, a different and changed man, someone who has been clearly harmed by the prison system. A good Miriam Kava quote here, my work has meant being a witness to the everyday damage that incarceration does to the future prospects of so many people who get caught in systems of arrest, jail, surveillance, and rearrest. This cycle makes it harder for individuals to find and hold on to stable housing, jobs, and relationships. And so I feel like that's Tim when he gets out. He's having a hard time with, like, his relationships, for sure. And the only reason that he's not having a hard time with a job is because, thankfully, Buddy gives him a job as a bartender at his bar. So he at least has that. Another part of the quote is also that it aggravates mental health and substance abuse problems, which I think we definitely see here because Tim drinks a lot when he gets out. And that prisons are not places for transformation and they are not appropriate social service providers. Incarceration is a traumatic experience. People spend years after their release working to heal. So I feel like we get to see the very beginning of Tim healing from prison in this final few episodes of the show. But first, at his welcome home party, he looks like lost and unfocused. And when Becky finally comes up to him, he immediately starts asking what her boyfriend thinks of her working at the landing strip. Like he's totally like just picking fights where he can and like being very angry and critical. And like Becky just seems very like upset and flustered by like how he is. And there's a moment when you see Smash Williams on the screen, like, playing football while Tim is in the bar, like, bartending. And it's, like, that visual reminder that, like, the other people he, like, played football with have, like, moved on with their lives and, like, you know, did the greatness they were supposed to be destined for or whatever. And he comes home that night and is all rude to Becky and Luke being, like, use protection this time, like, you know, alluding to their earlier pregnancy He's short with Billy when Billy tries to include him in conversations about, like, the East Dillon budget cuts. Like, he doesn't care. I feel like every problem that any of these people around him have probably feel very minuscule to him in comparison to what he's been dealing with. And then he ends up picking a fight at the landing strip with somebody who's flirting with Becky because as a waitress at the landing strip, flirting with the customers is clearly part of her job. But that makes him angry. He gets protective of his friend. He tells the customer to leave Becky alone. He picks a fight. And so we're going to pick up with Tim where he gets into this fight, essentially. The anger that he clearly has pent up over all of his months in prison really comes out at Billy which I guess makes sense even though it was Tim's decision like he did put a like his whole life on on the line for for Billy all right so he's been thrown out of the landing strip let go I'm sorry sorry hey hey what the 
the hell is your problem, man? Hey, if you got a problem with me, you take it out on me. Not that little girl. She's gonna lose her job. You're lucky after her, weren't you? We had a deal. I screw up my life. You fix yours. I fixed my life. my life if I feel it needs to be. Yeah, so we leave Billy crying and apologizing to no one. I'm sorry! It's just, like, so sad because it's, like, yes, it was his idea, but he was, like, absolutely desperate. It's not like he was just, like, let's do crime for fun, like, you know? And so it's just such a sad scenario because, like, you know that Tim is, like, acting out of, like, the harm that is, like, like he's in the mindset of having just been, like, behind bars for, like, 10 months, I guess. Completely yeah. changed. Miriam Kava quote that I thought was relevant to the scene was, of course, a system that never addresses the why behind a harm never actually contains the harm itself. It just can find people, not the conditions that facilitate their harm or the mentalities that perpetuate violence. So, like, and violence, he's, it's not, it's not as violent as he was before he went in, more violent when he came out. <laughs> Yes. It only just, like, brought up his, like, more harsher personality traits. Exactly. It just brought those more to the surface. Exactly. And so he basically gets Becky fired, and she's incredibly mad at him, and he decides he's going to leave the house and live somewhere else because of that incident. And so the next scene we're going to watch is him kind of packing up to leave, and Mindy's kind of, like, begging him not to go. I know you're angry, but you don't have to do this. I do. Too many people in this house. Okay, babe, he feels so guilty. You don't even know. He sits up in bed at nights and he cries and there is nothing I can do to stop him. He feels so bad because he loves you so much. I love you so much because of what you did for us. You gave Stevie a father. And I'm happy for you. And Billy, Stevie, and you did it. You're family now. But I've got to go. You're different, you know that? Yeah, I am. Oh yeah, it doesn't get more straightforward than that. <laughs> to quote Miriam Kaba, she says, it is deeply offensive and hurtful to me that we have prisons because they break relationships and people. That's how I feel about prisons. They are inherently made for isolation. And then you like literally see Tim go try to get into the old trailer he used to live in and he gets in and so he just kind of like squats at that trailer in isolation again instead of being of his family and his support system it's really sad and then in the next episode is when they find out that they're having twins <laughs> and billy kind of comes in to confront tim and tim like tells billy he's gonna go to alaska and work on an oil pipeline once his parole is up because somebody came into prison and like told them about that opportunity and so again trying to isolate himself and like just get away from all of it and every like i, I mean seeing billy must just remind him of like everything that happened you know and then tyra returns so she literally stops him from getting into like a another altercation with a customer who called him jailbird and a brunette tyra appears i've been waiting for five minutes for my drink 
fair, Jailbird. And they're basically talking, and she's like, oh, well, I had to come back because, like, they're having twins, and they're going to need help. And Tim's like, what? They're having twins? Because, you know, he hasn't been talking to Billy, so he doesn't even know that. And meanwhile, Mindy is, like, crying about how they're not ready, and they can't afford to have more babies. And Billy tries to reassure her, like, him going to prison didn't solve any of the conditions that led to the crime happening. It just shows right there. But... Tyra, I guess, kind of ends up being a reminder to him, I guess, of, like, she just ends up reminding him that, like, his family is his family, and the only one he's got, and uh, I don't know, I feel like she just kind of helps pull him out of it. So, we're gonna watch the scene where he finds out that he took the rap for Billy. Because I think it's important for us to note that, like, like Eric Taylor said in his speech, to the, everyone but, like, Mindy and Billy, he just made a stupid mistake, right? Because he took the rap for everything. But now Ira will finally find out why he's like so plagued with, you know, anger because he's been sitting around thinking about this clearly for 10 months. So let me get this straight. You're basically squatting on this land, living in a trailer that isn't yours, moving to Alaska and not talking to your brother. Was it really that bad? If you're asking if I was raped in prison, Tyra, the answer is no. Well, that's good to know. Thank you. Tim Riggins, what the hell's going on with you? What are you doing? Billy started the chop shop. I had nothing to do with it. We made it out to seem like I had everything to do with it. Wait, so what you're saying... What I'm saying is I went to prison for Billy. That's what I'm saying. Why? Why would you do something like that? He had a son, a wife, a family. I had the opportunity to change something, to give something to Stevie we never had. Even his father. I feel like that really explains like the real motivation is like clearly partially his abandonment and daddy issues. It's like seeing Stevie and not wanting him to have the same experience that he had with like not having a father there. And it's just like so sad. I know we're just saying that over it's... and over again, but it just is. <laughs> I know because it's just so real. It's not yeah. like this is just a wild story. This is like a real thing that happens to a lot of people of breaking up families and not really solving the larger issue at hand. You're just putting a person behind a cage and then saying that you fixed the problem when in actuality, you're just creating larger issues for the person in the cage, quote unquote, and then the person that it's affecting on the outside, because like life's going to continue to go on for the people on the outside, and it's going to affect everyone around it. So it, it doesn't impact just one person, it impacts the entire community that they're in. So Totally. It's, it hurts to watch because it it's real. It does, exactly. And so Tyra later kind of comes into the bar and just says, like, You know, Tim, I can't imagine how much you'd have to love Billy to do what you did. Just make sure you're really okay with losing him. He's your family. He's been your only family. Not many people have believed in you, Tim, but he has. And that's when Tyra and Tim make out and they end up sleeping together. And then <laughs> the next day, Tyra like brings him back to his land, which is still waiting there for him, which I guess I'm surprised they didn't see his land. Honestly, we'll, we'll let that go. We'll let that go. <laughs> But um, one tiny plot hole. Yeah, yeah. And she's kind of like Alaska Tim, kind of like getting his like Texas forever, you know, vibes going. Alaska Tim? 
so that kind of sets up the the end for him which i figured we would just sort of watch his ending which again i still feel like we we only got to the beginning of his healing and although i think it leaves you in a pretty satisfying place to think that he's going in the right direction it's clear that he's still going to be dealing with the aftermath of all of this emotionally for a long time agreed so this is tyra and tim again on his land uh picnicking i'm not sure what i want to do yet but don't laugh i'm thinking politics are you laughing right no. now no. yes yes no, <laughs> Tim Riggins, you are you are laughing. laughing inside you're lying to me right now Okay, when you say, like, politics, do you mean, like, Sarah Palin kind of stuff, or...? <laughs> you ass. Out of all people, really? <laughs> no, I'm thinking more along the lines of, um, Mrs. T. Yeah, except bigger. I can see that. Tim. I've been in love with you since I was five years old. And being here with you, it's the greatest feeling I've had in a really long time. Me too. It scares the hell out of me. I have dreams, Tim. I know you do. I have dreams, too. I'm gonna build a house exactly where we're sitting. I will get a job. And I'm never gonna do anything illegal for the rest of my life. Guaranteed. One day our dreams can merge together. Yeah, and you guys are, you know, missing the gorgeous, like, fun, I don't know, a golden hour maybe? Like <laughs> And they're on the beautiful land and it really just feels like, you know, the promise that something good could happen to them in the future. And then we finally, finally live Tim Riggins in the closing montage, uh, where it's eight months later, so it's kind of like the epilogue almost of the entire show. You get to see Tim and Billy working on building the house on the land together, which is really beautiful. Texas forever. Texas forever. Just like, what a great way to end the show. Yeah, so that's like how you uh, finally see Tim. Just Tim and Billy like drinking beers while they build a house on Tim's land and you know, him being able to see that going to Alaska would not have done anything for him, but he instead is pursuing his dream that he's always had. Yeah, it's great. And I wish that it was easy enough to do that for everyone. Yep. 
Exactly, because I think that in reality, his land would probably have been seized from him, especially considering it's, like, very clear he bought the land with, like, you know, the dirty money from yeah. the, the car. So, and uh, I can't imagine that it would be easy for him to buy it all back yeah, afterwards exactly. because of how they, like, disenfranchise people once they've re-entered the system of, exactly. like, society. But we'll let it slide because we're in teen drama land and, and Yeah, and we just way... want him to, we just want him to be happy. Yeah, exactly. And so back to our parallels of defense campaigns. I thought this would be a good way to conclude. Maryam Kaba says effective defense campaigns provide thousands of people with opportunities to demonstrate care for criminalized individuals. And so like I'd argue this show does that because you like already have built-in care for the character. You can see how the system is responsible for his state, not his own individual badness or some innate criminality about him that means he deserves to be in prison, you know? And she also says they connect people in a heartfelt direct way that teaches specific lessons about the brutality of prisons. So like again we get to see how he was changed by prison and this can change minds and hearts helping people to hopefully develop more radical politics so i really hope that if you enjoyed this episode that you will go and learn more about prison abolition and the prison industrial complex and we'll put lots of resources in the show notes and we didn't have time today to talk about alternatives to incarceration but i will say that like both angela davis and mariam kaba say that the problem is that like basically the prison industrial complex is a one-size-fits-all solution to problems that do not have that solution so like we've been saying this whole time the alternative is millions of different alternatives like it's like transformative justice programs it's like community accountability when people do harm and then it's also the things like providing housing and health care and good education and all of those things for people so when people say like well what are we gonna do where are we gonna put the rapists and stuff like the idea is that we're creating a future that doesn't seem possible right now because it's so different from what we have been within and i encourage you to read more about the alternatives to incarceration because we certainly did not have time to uh talk about that today so yeah thanks for coming on Haley. i'm sure like i'm gonna have you on next season too because we have so many teen drama things to talk about so many teen dramas thank you for having me to discuss in depth about the tim riggins and his beauty and him shouldn't be going to prison nope he's a very good person and this system fucking sucks and it's kind of beautiful this show managed to really show that yeah all right jeff i think we're the- oh Vinny's in your lap i didn't even notice <laughs> sweet boy sweetest boy abolish the pic y'all and we'll, we'll see you next time <laughs> Thanks for listening to Leftist Teen Drama. Follow us on social media for updates. Links to our Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok are in the show notes, along with links to suggested additional reading on the topics discussed. Solidarity Forever, Free Palestine, and Abolish the PIC. Signing off, Maria. 